0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to move on from verse 1 today. Uh, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Six Literal Days of Creation. And of course, the seventh day, God rested. But six literal days of creation, we have part one in Genesis 1, as we're studying through the book of Genesis, looking at our beginnings, answering questions like, where did the earth come from? Uh, Were we here by accident or by divine design? We're asking and answering questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Who is man accountable to and on and on. And how are we learning but we're getting to know God? The answer to those questions is understanding the character and nature of God. How has he revealed himself? Genesis has been written by revelation. God revealed these things to Moses about himself. We would never be able to know these things unless God chose to reveal them. And so he reveals them because he loves us. And we're going to get in now to the days of creation. Pick up in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So on day one, we have light and darkness. You notice there is the earth, it says the earth in verse two is without form, and void. And now there are a few different theories uh, that are held by various Christians and theologians related to creation. Let me give them to you so you can be familiar with them. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time explaining them, but I do want to give you a summary of them. The first one is a popular one. It's called the gap theory. This began by those who wanted to marry science and creation. And in this theory, some say that Genesis 1.1 reflects the original creation, and between verses 1 and 2, in that little gap there, there is a time of countless ages. And that number always changes because science seems to change over time. And in it's that gap, they insert all kinds of ages that are demanded by the new revelations and calculations of geologists, ending with the glacial age. And, and then following from verse 2 on is the account of, they say, of the recreation of earth, which this theory just really doesn't lack any biblical substance, but it's popular. The second one is known as the day-age theory. The day-age theory is, for some, ascribed to a... Those that ascribe to theistic evolution, uh, this is a popular one. They say that the days of creation are not in reality 24-hour days as we know them, but instead each day represents an epoch or an age. And that too lacks biblical and grammatical substance. The final one is what's known as the revelation theory. And in this, some say that the days of creation are indeed, this is an interesting one, they say that yes, they are 24-hour days, but then in reality, they're only 24-hour days in the life of Moses. And so in that 24-hour days, now that's how God reveals all the epics of time to Moses in his 24 hour days. I thought that was a fanciful one. I, I don't hear too much about it, but it's out there. But I believe, and I believe as a pastor teacher and as a Bible, as a Bible teacher, that it's much wiser to take the Bible at face value and understand the scriptures literally as they're presented to us. There's no need for us to bow to the circumstantial or circular reasoning of the scientific community and all the different things, the humanistic scientific community, uh, that all the different theories that come out to try to fit in what they think is true. This in here, Genesis chapter one, this is the origin of the heavens, of the earth, of life, of man, of marriage, of family, of nations, of ordinances, of law, of truth. God created everything in six literal 24-hour days, and he rested on the seventh. And here's some foundational understanding. If you're taking notes, you can get the study later. The Hebrew words for day, yom, which is Y-O-M, and the plural yamim, are used 1,900 times in the Old Testament. Of all of those uses, Only 65 of them reflect a time period other than a 24-hour day. The six-day work week exists precisely because God worked six days and on the seventh he rested. And the Sabbath day, theologically, is an everlasting reminder of God's creative work in six days and on the seventh day he rested. And there's more and more that we'll get into as you'll see but understand from the Hebrew use of the words, the way that you determine the definition of a word is the context. And as you read through in the creation story, the true story of creation, you'll see the context reflects day and night, 24-hour days. So notice in verse two, with that set aside, the earth was without form and void, darkness was on the face of the deep. And then notice, this, we don't wanna miss this, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the, waters. the Spirit of God was at work in creation from the beginning. And I like this word hovering. It's only used two other times in the scriptures. The first use is in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. And it says, As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. And another use of this word is in Jeremiah 23, 9. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets and all my bones shake, or this could also be translated flutter. It's the same Hebrew word for hover. I'm like a drunken man, like a man whose wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. So you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way in the beginning. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are Creator. And each person of the Godhead is there at creation. And it's not just the Spirit, but the Son was at work too in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created, speaking of Jesus, by Him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. So we have right at the beginning the triune God involved together in unity in creation. Jump down, we're not going to look at it today, but jump down to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth. And here you have what's called inner Trinitarian dialogue as the Godhead is speaking to one another In the creative process. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's also mysterious, isn't it? As we look at them, we go, man, this is amazing what's happening at creation. So here we have, as the Spirit of God is hovering and present and active in creation, I think we can pull out of that a real important reminder for us today in the new covenant, following Jesus. And that's simply this. We need to live our lives in the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God hovering in our lives moving in our lives, fluttering in our lives, controlling our lives. Remember what Paul would write to the Ephesians? He says, don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but what? Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of that word is to be controlled and submitted and led by the Holy Spirit and be obedient to the leading of His Spirit. Would you turn, hold your places in Genesis. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, the life of the Spirit, I've been doing my devos recently in the book of Galatians, and and I just have been meditating on this passage where Paul tells the Galatians, have you become so foolish that you've begun in the Spirit that you're now trying to be perfected in the flesh? I mean, that's how you began. There's no question, every born-again believer, your life as a believer in Christ began in the Spirit. you, You can't be born again apart from the Spirit. And so here you are, you start in the Spirit, you're following the Spirit, you're open to, as you're reading the Scriptures, you're like, Lord, teach me, I want to learn, lead me, speak to me, i got a decision to make, I I, I need. I don't want to wait, you know, give me patience, you're just so dependent, and then over time now, you're no longer so dependent, but you're trying to perfect your lives in your own strength, in your own understanding. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, pick up with me in verse 4, it says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but listen, our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I I would just ask you to pray tonight as we are in Bible study, as we close in a few moments, that you would just pray that the Lord would lead you. Some of you need to be led by the Spirit. So you can ask God tonight, I need to be led by you. That's just, this is where God brought you here. He brought you by on the radio or connected to us online and just like, that's your problem. That's what's been happening. You're not being led by the Spirit. For some of you, you you might need to pray tonight to be controlled by the Spirit. And the picture of control is exactly what Paul was saying in Ephesians as, and when you're under the influence of alcohol. When you are drunk with alcohol, drunk with drugs, under the, you are under the influence, you're controlled by the substance. When you present yourself, Jesus would say, when you present yourself a slave to sin, that's who slave you become. You're under the control of your sinful desires. You're under the control of who you've presented yourself to. So some of you, you need to pray tonight to ask God to control you by his spirit. For some of you, you need to ask God for guidance. You need to ask, God, would you guide me by your spirit? I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what decision to be made. And you need guidance. For some of you, you need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. A fresh, for some it's a fresh infilling. For others, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make you a minister of the gospel. And we'll be sure to pray for that as we end today. But think about what is your relationship with the Spirit of God? Consider where you are. If you're in one of those strong places tonight where you're just like, none of those really apply to me, pastor, then you just thank God for his presence of his Spirit in your life. You just thank him. It's like, God, you're so good to me. Even when I don't acknowledge your presence, thank you for not leaving me or forsaking me. You know, when you try to live a life to please God in your own strength, and your own plans, another verse popped into my mind today as I was reviewing my notes. I was just thinking, I think it's in the Proverbs, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And you want to, you want, you, you can make all the plans that you possibly can, but really when it comes down to it, you want to follow the plan of the Lord. You want to follow his steps. So you try to live a life pleasing God in your own strength, in your own plans, in your own methods, and your own flesh, you will fail. And you go, come on, Ed. What do you mean, you will fail? Who are you to say that? I'm not. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Listen to what it says. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. <laughs> so you're in the flesh doesn't please God. It just simply doesn't. That which out, without faith doesn't bring glory to God. But it is a glorious thing from the very beginning. God is trying to show us the emphasis and the necessity of the spirit. It's it's a beautiful thing where there's the spirit of God hovering, fluttering, present, active in creation. And as we read in verse 26, we also see uh, in verse three, we we see God saying, let there be light. God speaking, let there be light light. Let there be light. You know, 10 times the phrase God said is used in this section, at least 10 times, depending on what translation God said in chapter one. You know, these 10 commandments, God's commandments, God said, these 10 commandments have never been broken. Never. We'll find years later, there's another set of 10 commandments that no one can ever keep. You just can't keep all 10 commandments, but these continue on even to this day. We live according to these commandments because the words of God have absolute power and authority. Now, you know, absolute power and authority is a good thing. I think parents wish they had this kind of authority where, you know, God says something and it happens. I think parents like they want that, you know, parents want, you want to say something and it happens. Son, clean your room and just boom, it's automatic. Yeah, not so much. Or perhaps you want you want speak in the old King James in your house. Son, let thy room be clean. It's like, come on now. You know, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But noticeably, we don't have the same kind of power in our words that God has. And there are those today within Christendom that try to teach falsely that you can command like God commands and God will yield to you. You can name it and claim it. And somehow God will go, oh, Ed said something, we better do it for him. Now, my words don't have the kind of authority. When I pray, when I speak, or when I command, or declare, or name something, I do so in submission to God, not above God. I I do so, when I pray, I do pray in Jesus' name. And what I mean by that is, you know what, Lord, you heard what I said, you know what I said, you know what's on my heart, but my summary is, this is, I want it according to your will, not my will. I recognize and I acknowledge that when I come to you, that you are God and I am not. So we have something here in Genesis 1 that reminds us that the word of God is absolute. Not only is the spoken word of God absolute, but so is the written word is absolute. Uh, You and I, we only have the option to believe it or not. And haven't you found it to be true? When you believe God's word, there's progress in your Christian life. There's progress in your faith. There's victory in your life. When you don't believe, you find yourself wandering the desert. Just like the children of Israel. They, They failed to believe. And the Bible tells us that their 40 years of wilderness wandering was simply because of their unbelief. How much is lost in our lives because of unbelief? How much is lost in our lives because of unbelief? Because as we move forward into the new covenant again, years later, Jesus will say, all authority and power is given unto me. Jesus is the sum of all authority and power. And he demonstrated that he indeed was God in human flesh and in him is absolute power, absolute authority, absolute action and when we abide in him we walk in his authority and in his power and by faith we enjoy that which he receives what that he gives to us let me show you again proverbs chapter 8 would you turn there with me proverbs chapter 8 you know the absolute power of jesus when he speaks to the waters peace be still what happens to the storm boom the waters are still when he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, what happens? He's out because his words are absolute. He says, Lazarus, come forth, and there's power there. Notice Proverbs chapter 8, verse 25. In Proverbs chapter 8, as you have been doing your reading, you're probably going through the Proverbs. If you do a Proverb, one chapter, of Proverbs every day. You can go through Proverbs 12 times a year. On, on the eighth day of January, you may have gone through this and you notice that wisdom is given a person, given attributes of a person. You call that personified. You have wisdom personified, wisdom described with human attributes. And listen to what it says in verse 25. It says, Before the mountains were settled and before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had made, not made the earth or the fields or the primeval dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out foundations of the earth, When I was, I, there I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. And again, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says, it's, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, And who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And here we have in creation different aspects of it being described in, and you can see creation, not only do you have the triune God there, but you see that creation came forth through the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God existed in God because God has no beginning. And then in verse 3, what happens? God says, let there be light. And what? What? There was light now this is not sunlight we don 't get that until the fourth day, rather, this is light in and of himself, the revelation of light, like in you know God himself is light, the Bible says in first John one verse five, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, in him is no darkness at all. We get another hint of that as we get to the end of the Bible in revelation chapter twenty two verse four It says, they will see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And so light comes and it's just created by God, removing the darkness, removing the gases and just opening up where light can shine forth. And as God is shining forth light, verse four, it says, he saw the light and he declared it. What does your Bible say? To be good. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Verse five, God called light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. One of the reasons we're spending a little bit more time and even giving recommendations like answers in Genesis.org and other resources to help you understand. One of the reasons we're spending a little more time on this than just kind of going through a chapter a week is that a fundamental understanding of the first 11, 12, 13 verses of Genesis is essential in answering any of the humanistic questions in culture today. Like this is foundational in understanding and of all the different theories and things out there, I want to assure you that there are simple answers to complex questions. There are simple answers to complex questions. I I chose my words carefully there because simple answers don't make the questions less complex. There are complex questions. And there are, what about this? And what about that? And I read this and I put this together. And you got all of this. It can be so overwhelming, especially as I've shared before. If you're like me, I'm not a very scientific person. That's not a strength of mine. And so it could be very easy to overwhelm me. Go, wait a minute. What about this? And what about this? And I read this and I'm like, well, you know, my Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and I believe that. And I believe it happened just this way. Well, Well, explain it to me. Well, I can't. I wasn't there. I don't have the mind of God. But I'll tell you, this is what God wants us to know, that he commanded light and it was there. That's what he wants us to know. And he wants us to know in verse four that he saw it and he declared it good. And he wants us to know that it was divided where there's a day and a night. And as God separates light from darkness, there are all kinds of implications that come from this separation. There are moral implications, spiritual implications, ethical implications. I mean, the Bible is filled with these visions of light and, I mean, these illustrations of light and darkness. Light being good, darkness being bad. The Bible tells us what? To walk in the light, to live in the light. The light is, speaks of transparency, honesty, openness. It speaks of everything is open. We're not trying to hide anything. We're walking in the light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then this is the emphasis. This is the reason. He says, for what fellowship, what, and we learn this on, on the weekends, right? What koinonia, what is there to share? What can we share in intimacy, and he says that, between righteousness and lawlessness? They're at odds with one another. They can't have koinonia. And what communion has light with darkness. And even to this day, for those of you that will go with us on this trip coming up in a couple months to Israel, or perhaps the Lord would have you come to us, come with us uh, on a future trip if the Lord doesn't return, even today in Israel, the day starts in the evening. That's how they measure time. Light has, if you're taking notes, uh, I looked this up, Uh, Light has five basic functions as God created it. Number one, light divides darkness to give light to the earth and universe. Number two, light makes things grow. Life cannot exist without light. Man, animals, green plants, algae are all dependent upon light in order to live upon the earth. Thirdly, light gives heat and warmth. Number four, light gives color and beauty to things. Number five, light enables man and animals to see. Light exposes things, all the universe and all the earth, so that man and animals can see and carry out their function in a world of variety and beauty. So when God saw that light was good, light fulfills its function. It it does what it's supposed to do. Light was exactly here on day one, what God had planned, the way it was designed, perfectly fitted for its purpose. You're going to see that pattern in each day of creation. Exactly what God wanted created, the way God wanted it, created it, the purpose for which it was created, establish what God did, establish exactly what he wanted. And when you think about that, again, when you step back and think about that, don't you think God's going to accomplish that work in your life as well? That God is going to complete and finish what he started in your life. That he knows what he's doing. It's tainted and touched by sin for sure. But even tainted and touched by sin, God overcomes our weaknesses and our failures. He, there's a beautiful word for that. He redeems and he restores. Those are so good. They're so wonderful to know that God will accomplish his purposes. He's the potter. You're not the potter. He's the potter. You know what you are? You're a big lump of clay being fashioned and molded on the spinning wheel of the potter. He's going to accomplish his will in your life. God created light, and light is one of the greatest words in Scripture. I'm going to give you a list of things. I'm going to give you a brief one. If you want to take notes, great. If you want to email me, I'll send them to you. But consider these passages in Scripture about light. Light is so important. Number one, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. 1 John 1.5. Secondly, Jesus is the light of the world, the very embodiment of heavenly light, John eight twelve. Thirdly, the light of the knowledge of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4 6. Jesus Christ lights every man who comes into the world, John 1 9. Fifthly, believers are said to become children of light through faith Jesus, in Jesus Himself, John chapter 12, verse 36. Number six, believers have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, the inheritance of light, Colossians chapter one, verse 13. Number seven, before they come to Christ, believers are not only in darkness, but they are the embodiment of darkness. But when they come to Christ, believers are placed in light and become the embodiment of light itself, transferred into the kingdom of light, Ephesians 5.8. Number eight, believers are the light of the world, Matthew 5.14. Number nine, believers are, set, are to set their light on a candlestick or to make it available, to make their light seen, not hidden, Matthew 5.15. Number 10, evildoers shun the light, John 3.20. And then finally, I mean, you can go on and on, there's a lot of references, but number 11, the creation of light here is a picture of the expulsion of spiritual darkness right at the beginning of of creation that's how it all starts light to separate the darkness which brings us to day number two notice in verse six then god said let there be a firmament some of your bibles might say expanse if you would like to write in your bibles you can circle that word and just to help you remember atmosphere separation and atmosphere uh, in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters verse seven Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was, and God called the firmament heaven. And so the evening and the morning were the second yom or the second day. How do we know that refers to a literal day just by the simple English here? There was a day and a night. That's why this is a literal day, the yom, as it was used 1,500 other times in the Hebrew scriptures to speak of a literal day as we would understand it. So here in the beginning, there is a lot of water on the earth and a lot of water above the earth. And somebody that measured this, the amount of water continually suspended in the air now above us is estimated at 460 billion tons of water just floating on the, above us in the clouds around the world today. The amount of rain and snow that falls upon the earth is the equivalent of 186,000 cubic miles or enough water to cover the earth at a depth of three feet. And that's just today. So even as we live today and look up at the beautiful clouds, we're reminded at just how much water, even after creation, is hovering above us. The water canopy above the earth helped to stabilize the planet, making it a tropical paradise during the time of the Garden of Eden. Um, They've even found, as people have searched, they found mammoths have been found encased in ice at the poles with vegetation in their mouths. The climate also helped to extend the lifespan of man because it was protected from the UV rays and things before the flood. There was definitely enough water to flood the earth at this time. So God, what does he do? He divides it. He divides the waters, causing the clouds, fog, and mist to leave the face of the earth and hang in the sky. And he creates the atmosphere or the expanse in the middle, the air, the expanse, the space between the clouds and above the earth. And here he declares it as heaven. Now, this is not a reference to heaven where God is, where God dwells eternally. This is a phrase that represents the atmosphere, the separation between the clouds, the mist, the fog, and the water uh, that is still in the ocean and in the ground. Uh, Remember, the Bible speaks of three different heavens, and we're not going to develop it here, but we have developed it when I was studying, teaching through Corinthians. Three different heavens. Heaven number one is the atmospheric heaven, if you want to use that word, heaven. This is where the birds and the bugs hang out, the atmosphere, the separation. Secondly, there is the celestial heavens, the celestial heavens. This speaks, this is home to the moon, the sun, the stars. And then finally, there is the spiritual heaven, and this is where God dwells, the eternal realm. So the heaven here is just the expanse. And on day two, he separates it all. Number three, day number three, verse nine. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good So the evening and the morning were the third day. So here we are in day three. We have dry land, we have the seas, and we have plant life. And so the earth was separated from the waters. Dry land wasn't created on the third day, but notice he uses the word appear. The earth was there, and he's separating and putting things in order. And he named the earth and the seas. Turn over to Psalm 104. Let's go to Psalm 104. We'll go through the rest of the day and then we'll address a popular opinion on this particular text that's among us, especially here in Colorado and probably in 30 other states in the United States of America. In Psalm 104, notice with me, in verse 5. Psalm 104, verse 5. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever... You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. What are we reading about the rebuke that they fled? Right here in Genesis, as their things are being separated. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you founded for them. What do we call the place that, so far we've learned here, he calls the place that he founded for them? Seas. Notice he says in verse 9, You have set a boundary that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. And he sends the springs into the valleys, verse 10, which flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them, the birds of the heavens have their habitation. They sing among the branches. And the, he waters the hills from his upper chambers. And the earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. And he goes on talking about the grass growing vegetation for man. And notice in verse uh, 14, vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to make glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. And uh, on and on. It's a beautiful psalm. But you see that this is a description of what's happening, a very beautiful description of what's happening here in on the third day. Now, notice that the earth, in verse 11, produces vegetation. And God says, Let the earth bring forth grass, and the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree, and the yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good." And that was the end of the third day. So you got the grass and you have the herbs that yield, that yield seed. You have fruit trees. Notice plants were created. Um, they were not created as seed, but they were created as full-grown plants with seeds to propagate themselves. The wisdom of God, how he took care of things. He created the plants. They have seeds to propagate according to their kind. You know, the earth, the vegetation have purposes. Um, Vegetation provide food, Uh, the Earth's vegetation now supplies oxygen to the atmosphere, the Earth's vegetation helps control the climate, uh, helps to keep dry land from eroding away, Uh, the vegetation uh, helps to decay and provide fossil fuels for the Earth, Uh, it captures energy from the light and converts it to chemical energy through photosynthesis, it's the chemical energy that makes life possible on the Earth and on and on it goes. So some of our friends like to um, come to this passage and they like to validate their smoking of marijuana. And because look at what God has given us. It's given us the herb and he called it was good. But you know, they're very selective in what plants they choose to use and what plants they choose. Because I've never met anyone that says, well, you know, poison ivy also has been given to us even if it's been touched and tainted by sin. And I don't see people taking poison ivy and running it all over their bodies. Because when you come to the Bible, well, you know, of course I can get high. God gave it to us. Well, with that kind of logic, you can make a lot of bad decisions by reading into the text what you think is good for you. And again, this is prior to the fall. So as Adam and Eve are going through the garden, whatever the marijuana leaves and whatever the plants were, they didn't lead to sin. They weren't prohibited. It wasn't what was going to lead to sin. After the fall, now plants become something other than what they were created created for. And it is not God's will, especially you guys here in Colorado, but wherever you are, that now because marijuana is legal, and now all of a sudden because something's legal, we think it's okay for us. I, I was always over the years as pastors would deal with this question, they would just simply dismiss it and say, well, you know, it's illegal, so stay away from it. But that's the wrong kind of logic, especially in a world like ours, because you have people that get voted in the office and people that have ulterior motives that don't really care about you and change the laws so that more taxes can come or change the laws to keep people under the influence of, of substances so they can be more easily controlled or used. Or, like There's a lot of different ulterior motives to keep you out of a sane mind, to take advantage of your life, to have you in a constant stupor, and drunkenness. And it's not just, don't, don't let it in. the statement I'm making in the human realm. It is a demonic assignment to destroy your life. There is a, dynamic, a, a, a demonic assignment that is there to kill, steal, and destroy through substance abuse, even legal substance abuse, to keep you in a state where you're not living in reality. Let's face it, even as I was drawn back to Job today in our prayer time, reality is painful and it's hard. And Jesus said in this world, we will suffer tribulation. Everyone suffers tribulation. Every human being on the planet earth now and that will be born until the coming of the Lord will experience deep pain. Some other, some more than others, some much, much more than others. And some, as you continue to add years to your life, you have more and more pain. And and as you extend more of your love to others, and you extend more of your trust to others, and you, you extend more of your life in relationship with others, then pain comes from all the people that are connected to your life. And then there's pain from strangers. And then there's pain from our own bad decisions. Then there's pain from consequences of sinful decisions we can't undo. I know as I was raising my kids, and even to this day, as I feel as a pastor and as a shepherd, an under-shepherd over our church, man, I plead with you. Please don't go the road of decisions, especially those decisions that you cannot undo. You you get away with this and go, I got away with it. Get away with this, I got it. And you kind of think like, well, I can get away with sin. But you're on a road where you're going to head toward a decision that cannot be undone that will have lifelong consequences. You will live with the pain of a momentary decision for the rest of your life. So what does God do? God sends pastors and teachers into your life to remind you to trust God with your life. He has with some of you parents that love Jesus Christ. Of course, parents aren't perfect. We all make mistakes. We deliver the information wrong. We may even be consistent in our own lives. But you listen to what the truth of what your parents say is compared to the scriptures and obey them. Don't make them the excuse. You don't want to make a sinful decision. Listen, I think this is from the Lord. You don't want to make a sinful decision just because you're mad at your parents or you're mad at your pastor. Or you're mad at your friend or your uncle. They go, you know what? I don't believe you. I'm gonna do my own thing. And certainly God gives you the freedom to do your own thing. That's where true love comes from. That's why the choice to obey God is a choice of love. It's not a forced choice on us. Nobody's making us obey God. Nobody's making us do anything. It's not you have to do these things. It's you get to do them. This, this is the pathway of relationship. Take it from someone that made decisions that I can't undo. As an unbeliever, very painful. They'll never be erased. They'll never go away. And even if they were erased and gone away, they're in my mind. And I live with consequences of bad decisions I made years and years and years ago. Oh, God is gracious. You bet. I'm still standing. Yeah. The Lord was very gracious in many different ways. And he let me get so far. And who knows? Had I not repented, who knows? But I share it heart to heart. Like you, you come and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's legal now. I can smoke pot because God gave me every herb to enjoy. You said it was good. Uh, that's just foolish talk. It's just foolish talk. And those will, if you search carefully, you'll learn in, in a very real way, marijuana is a gateway drug. Uh, I'm, it's just the facts. It doesn't end there. It doesn't satisfy it's not a satisfying thing. It will require more. Sin is never satisfied. Your flesh is never satisfied. And it'll start small, and then your body will go, I need more. And then you'll get more. And then my body, your body, get, and you know, this isn't going to work anymore. And then you have, have, head off on this thing, and then you head off on this thing. And then economics start coming in. Because it's, it's really expensive buying, buying this much pot, but you can get this drug really cheap. But this drug will wreck your life. It will destroy your mind. It'll put you on trips that could ruin your brain. You go, but Ed, I've done it so many times. Yeah, but it just hasn't ruined you yet. It's slowly ruining you. It's slowly destroying you. And for what? When it's much better to follow the Lord. So listening to, I, I, am, I am saying it with tongue in cheek, but I'm also saying it with great seriousness. You don't come to the Bible and tell me that the Bible approves of you getting high on pot. Don't tell me that. It's, the Bible doesn't approve of that. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine. Well, then I can be drunk with beer. Are you serious? Is that how you approach the Bible? Like God is speaking to you about the control of your life. You could say, don't be drunk with fame. You could, see, you could say, don't be drunk with money. Don't be drunk with status and prestige Don't be under the influence of of the culture and the world's way of doing things. That's not just wine, although it's appropriate, any substance that can bring you under its power. Don't be drunk with pot. Don't don't be drunk with cocaine. Don't be drunk with meth. Don't be drunk with heroin. Don't be drunk with oxy. Like, you can go on and on. The Bible wants us to be sober-minded, to walk circumspectly and upright. To be sober. We, to, to, what, remember what Peter said when we were studying through Peter? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be vigilant and alert in the days in which we live. And sure, you can still, at the end of this, I didn't do it. The title of my message is not why you shouldn't smoke pot. So I didn't develop this. You could develop it, though. You could go through, and I could systematically take you through the scriptures and show you that it's a very unwise and sinful decision even if it's legal. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Don't forget that. Just because I can doesn't mean I should. It doesn't mean it's good for me. It doesn't mean it's going to lead me toward righteousness. I mean, what you have here is God's authoritative word in the creative process, how it all began. And the the emphasis on the herbs is that he he provided in his wisdom, he provided that which will propagate itself until he returns. All of his creation, you know what's so cool about this is all of his creation outlasted sin. It is touched and tainted by sin. Can you imagine what the Rocky Mountains would look like untouched by sin? As gorgeous as they are. I mean, if you come in to the church from far out on a Gun Club and you come up on that hill and it's just gorgeous and clear and I'm like, it's stunning. Like if you're not careful, you'll stare at it and you'll be moving your car. will be, Like it's just so incredibly stunning where God has allowed us to live. But even that is touched and tainted by sin, as gorgeous and as beautiful as it is. And God is going to do a work of restoration and recreation at the coming of the Lord, which is great and wonderful. And that's where we're going to close today. So Father, we are, great, we are great, grateful of your mercy to us. And I, I just felt like that word, it was, I know it was strong, Lord, but it needs to go forth to trust the people you put in our lives to test what we say by what your word says. And even if we have a beef with someone, even if we're mad at a pastor or we're mad at dad or we're mad at mom, that we would yield to the truth for our own sake because it's our life. And we have nothing to gain by rebelling against you. It'll only make things worse. So speak to our hearts. So bring us back. Even as I was thinking, it's kind of all closed. It's like how you put the service together. Like that. just sensing hard hearts and prodigals. And then we got a brother that says, no, I'm not going to be unequally yoked and I obeyed it. And then we got another brother that says, no, I need need my life to be pointed. I I will do what it takes day by day to point my life toward. I I have all these failures and I still make mistakes. I'm going to follow you. And here we are reading about your creative power and and being reminded that we could so twist the Bible to our own desires. We, we, can, we can hear other voices that just aren't leading us toward humility and brokenness, to submission and surrender. And so as we were studying today, Lord, we pray. Some are praying right now, and you can just pray right now in this last prayer church. Some of you need to pray to be led by the Spirit. Some of you need to ask God to give you an anointing of His power by the Spirit. Some of you need to pray right now just to be controlled by His Spirit. Some of you just need to be prayed to surrender to His Spirit. And let that be as you, as you start to sing this song. Let, let, let that prayer, let it go up as incense unto the Lord. Let it be a, a prayer. So just go ahead and you can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your mind. You can pray together. Just where are you right now? What is it that you're looking for? Where is it that God has led you tonight when it comes to the work and presence, the hovering, fluttering presence of His Spirit in your life? Let's not quench the Spirit tonight. Let's not lie to His Spirit, but let's commit and surrender and walk in the Spirit tonight. Live in His Spirit.